You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Collective Cafe, a virtual coffee experience which takes place every single Monday through Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in both Alpha Collective's Discord, that's discord.gg forward slash alpha collective and startup club's house in clubhouse it's free it always will be free there are no strings attached there is no bait and switch lurk or listen only chat with one another in our back chat or even come onto stage the coffee shop is open for business whether you're on the treadmill getting the kids ready for school getting yourself ready for work commuting into the big bad city or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom to your home office on monday we manifest on tuesday we talk thought leadership on wellness wednesday we discuss mental health wellness and life skills on thursday we do live book reads and discussions with the author and then on friday it's no agenda friday where there is no agenda Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the Collective Cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption, entrepreneurship, or coaching. So give us a subscribe, bit.ly forward slash Collective Cafe to go, or a review on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening on demand or of course join us every day live it is addictive and remember it is a safe welcoming space and you will never ever be put on the spot this is alpha collectives collective cafe my name is joseph jaffe good morning good morning everybody it is Monday, January 15th, it is 8.02 a.m. and it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Happy MLK Day. Happy, if that's the word to use, Uh, but certainly I thought when we talk about courage, I found an article that um, gives advice. It was advice asked by a graduate student. We'll get to that in a moment, but first I want to tell a little story about what happened on Friday to me. So, um, yeah, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the story as it happened. I was up pretty early, and um, I left the house at about 6.35 a.m. Um, I had to go uh, to um, my local temple, and uh, they'd asked me to come and make up numbers, um, and, and I was uh, in a little bit of a rush, um, but, you know, not a terrible rush, but still, you know, wanted to get there more or less uh, on time. And um, I got stuck behind an unbelievably slow car, like really slow. Now, the irony is they were probably doing the speed limit, but, I mean, you know, it just feel, felt like that they were doing like 10 miles per hour. They are probably doing 20, but it was slow. And I kind of waited, 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 got a little bit impatient. And eventually I kind of um, overtook the car. On the other side, you know, on the incoming traffic side, everything was good. Um, nothing super risky. Uh, but then I felt a little, you know, kind of self-conscious, a little bad. And I didn't kind of want, for, for some reason in my mind, I was like, I don't want the car to take down my license plate and, I don't know, call the local Westport police and say that I was there was a car driving erratically or, you know, speeding or whatever. So I kind of sped off. Now, at the same time, I noticed that I didn't have a lot of gas. In fact, I started my drive with 10 miles left. And uh, as I was kind of overtaking the car, the, it dropped to five miles. And I figured, um, it's, it's, I'm going to run out of gas, um, so I need to divert 
and now I get gas. And where I was was quite a diversion. It wasn't like <clears throat> like I was a minute away from the gas station. I was probably like five or six minutes from the nearest gas station. Anyway, long story short, I took a corner, probably a little bit faster than I should have, and there was sand on the road, and the car kind of like skidded a little bit, and I was like, oh, crap, I almost lost control of my car, and I tried to regain it, and then I was like, nope, I'm not regaining control of my car. I think I'm going to have an accident. And the car slid and slammed into the side of the road. There were um, kind of like, um, you know, concrete barrier i mean not a barrier but it was more like just like the side of the you know the sidewalk um they're like gutter they just recently put i guess it would have been like maybe the equivalent of six inches of concrete um that kind of made up now the the sidewalk you know and and slightly raised from the road um a mighty mighty thud like i mean a mighty thud you know that thud when you have an accident you just feel like the whole the whole um the shock, the shock wave goes right through your whole body. It is just the crumpling of metal. It is the worst feeling in the world. And I hit this, uh, I hit this barrier and uh, kind of the car bounced back onto the road and somehow I maintained uh, control of the car. The car kept driving and I kept driving in the car and I was like, holy crap, what have I done to my car? How much, how bad is it? I'm thinking, now, I'm fine. The car is still driving, and I personally am shook up, and I'm you know like I'm like just dreading um, what you know what the car is going to look like. Uh, at that moment, the car goes to zero, and now I'm like you know it's a race against time to get to the gas station. I get to the gas station, uh, start to fill up, and look at the car, and I see what appears to the naked eye to be no damage. Uh, other than the tires are a little scuffed and the hubcaps are fairly scratched, both of them. Now, what I realize in this moment is um, I realize kind of like a bunch of things have happened. But first of all, let's talk about let's talk about you know how this event came to pass. Left the house slightly in a rush, stuck behind a slow car overtook the car, um, realized I needed gas, sped away, not wanting, you know, to, I don't know, have the car kind of take down my license plate, took a corner too fast, lost control of the car, kind of regained control of the car. Uh, I don't know whether you want to call it a, a comedy of errors or you want to call it domino effect, but imagine a bunch of events that happened that, you know, almost transpired that had to happen in order for this event to happen, right? If I had left, if I hadn't been in a rush, if I had left the house 10 seconds earlier or 10 seconds later, um, if I'd been patient behind that slow car, hell, if that slow car hadn't been there, um, if I'd filled up the gas, filled up with gas, the night before, or even even if I had 20 miles instead of 10 miles, and ultimately, if I hadn't sped, if I just said, look, you know, I'm going to be, if I'm late, I'm late, two minutes late, three minutes late, four minutes late, it happens. All of these things could have been done and could have been in my control. They were in my control. And had any of, well, some of them obviously, like if the car hadn't been there, but, but the ability, the choice to be patient the choice to have exercised more self-control, the choice to have have um, you know been able to regulate, I guess, my emotions slightly better. If any of those things had happened, plus all of those external events, this wouldn't have happened. This accident wouldn't have happened. Now let's talk about the stuff that went right. Um, I don't know how much skill or luck was involved in terms of me controlling the car and not spinning out. But what I realized, first of all, they've just recently here in, in where I live um, put up these concrete kind of, you know, barrier or not barriers, but this kind of concrete um, sidewalks. Before, it was just kind of like, you know, dirt and gravel and mud and, you know, 
had they not been there, the car would not have stopped. The car would have continued to slide out of control onto uh, grass, through a fence, into a house. Anything could have happened. In addition to that, I think had both tires not hit at the same time, if one tire had hit, the car would have would have spun. So the car could have spun. The car could have also flipped. Anything could have happened. Now, I ended up um, filling up with gas, um, going to Temple, um, feeling couldn't stay because I was just a wreck. And then I went to a local tire shop, walked around the car, you know, and they said that they would take a look at it. They would check suspension. They would check to see if there was any internal damage. Well, then you know, they'd look at the tires, the hubs, everything. Um, there was nothing. They, uh, they did an alignment, a balance and alignment. It cost me about $200. And, um, and, you know, picked up my car later that day. So perspective, right? Self-control. There's so many elements to this simple story that are worth reflecting on and worth sharing. Um, I could have blamed everyone but myself. Um, I could have um, lamented on how unlucky I am. Why does this always happen to me? The victim mentality. Or I could reflect on how lucky, in fact, I was. And whether I wanted to blame a higher power for why it happened or thank a higher power for why it couldn't have been worse and and what I got away with. Or no high powers, just dumb luck, beginner's luck, bad luck, good luck. I mean, I think the reflection is you walk away from something like that, and I did literally walk away, and you think, well, I guess I won't speed again. I guess I'll forevermore be a little bit more uh, conservative around that corner. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, isn't it? It's amazing. It's amazing how... Sometimes, oftentimes, most of the times, all the time, we have to wait for something bad to happen to us in order to learn from it. Why not just learn from it or not avoid it from happening in the first place? Same thing like car insurance. Well, I mean, car insurance is mandatory here in the US, but, you know, maybe, uh, you know, an alarm in your house. You don't have it until you get robbed. And then guess what? Now you've got an alarm. Doesn't help you the second time, does it? Once bitten, twice shy. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. All of these things kind of come together. And, um, and I guess my reflection and my learning is, um, you know, kind of anticipate these things. We have the power to anticipate these things. We have the ability to think ahead. We're not, it's, it's, it's not that difficult when we think about being impatient, when we think about speeding, when we think about rushing, when we think about kind of getting um, to the destination if we're driving to, let's say, Boston from New York. So it takes you three and a half hours instead of, or it takes you three hours and 45 minutes instead of three hours and 35 minutes, or even instead of three hours and 30 minutes. The extra 15, 20 minutes driving, you know, if not within the speed limit, 10 or 15 miles beyond the speed limit. The speed limit is 65 driving at 80, right? As opposed to 90, 100, 110, 120. As opposed to, you know, or just taking a couple of breaks, stopping off at the rest stop, stretching your legs, checking your email when the car is stopped versus while you're driving it. All of these things, these are not difficult things to understand or comprehend or process. So I guess that's my thought, you know, on this Monday, which is, you know, um, if we have the intelligence and the ability and the insight to think ahead, well, then think ahead. Think ahead and act ahead. I guess that's the message, right? Think ahead and act ahead. Take the time to think, actually. Take the time to anticipate. What are the things that could go right? What are the things that could go wrong? And then be able to anticipate and react. So that was my reflection. I just wanted to share that with you. Um, This morning, 
I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna switch uh, I'm gonna switch to a um, a different topic, which is um, just an article that I found. Um, an article that I found um, on LinkedIn that was, I guess, written by Brian Collins originally. And um, Brian Collins is the co-founder of Collins. I guess they're a, an agency, a design agency. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I don't know him personally, but, but you know, I was introduced to him by a mutual friend, um, uh, Rini um, who, um, and I think, you know, even she even reached out to Brian. She was helping me a little bit with Alpha Collective back uh, about a year ago. And, um, you know, for him to actually be a part of the collective. So I should reach out to him and say, hey, remember that? You still want to be a part of it? Um, and anyway, he wrote an article. Um, his LinkedIn bio says, co-founder Collins, San Francisco, D DNAD Design Company of the Year, Ad Age Business Transformation Agency of the Year, Design Agency of the Year four times, Fast Company Best in Design Alliance Graphique Internationale. Um, and, and his article says, uh, or his post says, last year a graduate student asked me if I could filter my approach to leading work down to 10 principles he could keep by his desk. I am not, not, not a fan of simplistic reduction. So I told him, sorry, no, I don't have 10 principles. Then I started writing and I called him back. I have 11. So here are his 11. And I'm just going to share them with you. Uh, maybe even have a short and sweet session with you this morning. Or uh, see, hello, Christopher. See if you want to uh, if you want to um, comment on it, come up to the stage on either Discord or Twitter X. And um, so here they are. Number one, listen, prove that you are listening. So we've done several sessions in the Collective Cafe on listening, on hearing, on active listening, on intense listening. Um, so I'm not going to kind of um, rehash or regurgitate all the thoughts about what it is to actually listen or hear. Um, but suffice it to say that um, you're not listening when you're thinking, when you're already trying to talk, right? You can't talk and listen at the same time. Um, and when you're already trying to formulate your question um, and the person who's talking hasn't finished talking, um, it's very hard to, to listen. Now, I just want to make, uh, make a, just a, a quick point. I'll make it in a second because the, the interesting part of this is not the listen part. It's the prove that you are listening. How do you prove that you're listening? Well, I mean, there are some facilitation techniques that, that we use, that I use as a coach, right? Which is you, uh, when somebody talks, um, you say to some, and you typically do this when, when there's real difficulty that people are not, um, they're disconnects or people are getting frustrated with one another or there doesn't seem to be progress being made or people just seem to be, again, either politicking or, you know, just it seems like kind of like just we're, we're like spinning, spinning wheels. We're just going in circles. So person A and person B, if person A talks, then the facilitation technique is uh, person B has to repeat back what they just heard from person A. And then person A has to say, is that what you intended person B to hear? What you just, what they just repeated back. So there are two parts to it. It's not just, yes, I can, kids do this all the time. They kind of parrot what you just said to prove that they can remember. But listening doesn't mean remembering. It's not a memory game, right? Listening is not a memory game. So just the fact that you can parrot back words doesn't mean that you actually understood or processed. But certainly this idea of, of you know, first step is to actually be able to repeat back what was said and, you know, make sure that it's, that, that the intent is there, that the understanding is there. So prove that you are listening. Now, the caveat that I just wanted to make is, um, you know, if, if somebody says something, you know, like we've tried, I tried this, I mean, in uh, even back in the clubhouse days, which is to tell people that are on stage or sharing um, just to make one point per share. 
I think it's a little hard when, when people are making multiple points. So when you make seven points or say seven different things, it's really hard for the person listening to have to be able to wait until you finished and then by how do you respond? To what do you respond? Do you respond to the first thing, the third thing, the seventh thing? Oftentimes we forget the first or second thing. Oftentimes the thing that we end up responding to is the very last thing that was said. So if you're the person doing the share, if you want someone to respond to the last thing you say, well, you know, just say the last thing. Just say the, the last thing is the first thing is the only thing. But if you wanted them to respond to the second thing or the fourth thing, um, you need to kind of be very clear. You need to maybe speak in multiple shares. So that's the only caveat I would say. When somebody says, okay, you've made a point. Well, wait up. There's something else I want to say. I know, but I really want to respond to what you just said. And I don't want to lose that point. I've heard it. I've processed it. It's interesting. I agree. I disagree. I've pushed back. I have a build. Um, I need to respond to that point. So hopefully, you know, the only uh, memory game that has to take place at that point is the original person has to remember what else they wanted to say, or it falls on the receiver to have to remember all six or seven points. It sounds exhausting. It sounds highly um, inefficient and full of friction. So that so that's only my caveat to point number one. Point number two. Speaking of which, ask the next question, ask the question after that, see where it leads. So this is all, you know, the power of questions, the power of curiosity. Um, I, I did, um, I did uh, a session, uh, a session. I, I, I did an episode of my show um, last week and um, I found it to be very, uh, very interesting because um, my, my guest... I've actually, um, uh, Joanna Bluer, um, she said, uh, she kind of came up with a, uh, I guess what she called for me was, you know, she does, um, she does a lot of like personal branding and, um, you know, we were talking about making impressions and we we're talking about um, just a whole bunch of amazing different topics. She calls herself like the fairy godmother, I think of networking, I suppose. Um, and she said for me, she said um, like, how do I introduce myself? Or she actually asked what people would find intriguing about me. So Christopher, maybe you can answer that in the comments. She said, if people were to, if people, if you were to go to people um, and ask them, like, like they'd say, what do you find intriguing about Joe? What do you find intriguing about him? And, and at first I was like, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what, the, what would they find intriguing about me? Um, she said though, she came up with this idea of, consistently curious about the uncomfortable. I thought that was brilliant. Consistently curious about the uncomfortable. But um, it's the curiosity. It's the curiosity factor of asking questions. You know, some people say, you know, like I'm going to answer a question with another question. But that's okay. Keep asking questions. Keep asking why. Keep being curious. And obviously, in this case, listen, prove that you're listening, and then ask a question, and another question, and another question, and see where it leads. And recognize that often, you know, it, if you think about it, each question is like a leg on a journey. The journey itself, or the destination, might be, a, might be over seven legs. You may need seven questions, or seven stops, or seven nodes, or seven, you know, curiosity clarifiers in order to get there. Speaking of which, number three, find the story. Then find the story no one else is seeing. That's the one worth pursuing. So this is very much consistent with this idea of, you know, um, I, I've spoken about this, I wrote this in the new book, Zig when others are zagging, it's one aspect of thought leadership. The goal is not to be contrarian for the sake of being contrarian, but if you are genuinely curious and if you are listening, you might be able to find the white space. You might be able to read between the lines. You might be able to come up with an insight that everyone else has missed because they're all following if you want to lead. Or you might just see a, a unique take, an original take. 
that might be the real story. Right, right now, um, Vanguard, for example, um, is facing tremendous backlash for uh, their anti-crypto stance, for basically, you know, deciding to renege on the decision to uh, carry Bitcoin um, ETFs. And literally, you know, Twitter X has led this rebellion where people are, are, I mean, if it's true, are in masses closing down their accounts and switching to Fidelity and, and in mass, they're losing a crap load of business. So the question comes down to now, what will Vanguard do? And, and the rumor is that they're now obviously seriously reconsidering their anti-crypto stance, their anti-crypto, anti-Bitcoin stance. But if you read a little bit deeper, there are people basically saying, um, even if they reverse it, don't move your money back. Because remember the quote that I've used often, at scale, cracks become chasms. What it's done is it's exposed a nerve. It's exposed the reality that their systems, that their processes were antiquated, or more importantly, there is a fundamental philosophical issue at play, which is when you tell me how to spend my money, how to invest my money, what I can and can't do, that's not okay. That's not okay when you, when you strong arm or heavy hand me. The damage may have been done. And my point is, why am I mentioning all of this? Because what's the story here? Is it a story about X? Is it a story about crypto and Bitcoin? And or, and or, is it a story about consumer behavior? About, is, is, it, a, is it a culture story? I'm not telling you what, what I think personally. I'm just saying, what is the story? Find the story that no one else is seeing. And if you do choose and say this is more interesting about how, you know, there's, is there a consumer behavior aspect to this that, that, will, that can be extrapolated and used for multiple industries in terms of messaging, in terms of tonality, you know, in terms of recognizing that we, this isn't about we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. This is about being able to be told what to do versus guided, versus a more collaborative approach. Number four, do not worry about originality. Just work at the boundary between what you know and what you do not know. What emerges will have a better chance of being original. So I like this point because, you know, as I said, there are three forms of thought leadership. There's original thought leadership, which is generally the hardest you know, this is like professional driver closed course. You know, clo- this is about, you know, do not attempt, professional at work, do not attempt. I am a professional thought leader. I've been doing it long enough. I can come up with original thought. I don't need, today is not that. <laughs> today I'm taking, today I'm taking Brian Collins's work. I've been inspired by his work and I'm commenting, which is the second point, which is riff on it create original thinking but not on an original topic in this sense. So if Brian came up with 11, I could come up with 12, 13, 14, and 15, or I could comment on his 11 and provide my original take. And then, of course, the third is zig when others are zagging. It's exhausting to have to truly find and be original. In addition to that, there are those who say there are no new ideas, that every idea that has ever will ever be created, has been created already. And all we're doing is just creating derivative and riffs on it. That's exhausting too, to have to try and prove or refute that. But the bottom line is you don't have to be completely original, I guess. Even a little bit original. Just, you know, even if it's just, you know, as they say, make it your own. Make it your own. Like when you see, um, you know, an American Idol or America's Got Talent, you take an original song and you make it your own. Your own spin, your own, your own voice, your own approach. Sometimes it's taking, you know, a, a, a heavy metal song or a rock song and, you know, singing it as a ballad or whatever the case may be. There are many ways of 
providing original execution on you know on existing work number 5 quantity over quality at first explore it is all an experiment it is all learning so the idea behind number 5 i think is is this idea it's interesting because i love these things they all just roll and blend into each other and then they kind of work backwards too um there's this you know the original idea when you are you know when you are um about i would say um brainstorming at that brainstorming phase uh what you really want to be able to do is there are no bad ideas right so like there is no such thing as a crap idea just you you want to go for tonnage you want to go for quantity you want to just come up with as many ideas as possible now we've discussed this in previous uh, collective cafes but the idea behind this is that you know you can take a really bad idea and actually turn it into a, an incredible idea if you just sometimes you just make a little tweak you just uh you know provide a small little tweak to it and and you can like literally turn you know lead into gold or straw into gold or however you want to look at it so quantity then quality it's always that way because again if you're just trying to come up with one idea and you only have one shot to come up with one idea that's the original idea that's the exhausting part so quantity first quality second and there is as much to gain from the process from the journey than the, than the destination but then number 6 says kill the crap make what is left better and better and better again now there are two ways to look at this you have the crap ideas which are protected at first but i don't think this is referring to that i think what this is referring to is that too often we settle for mediocrity we settle for crap in the agency business in the in the creative business in the movie business I mean we just we don't have the courage we don't have the ability and oftentimes it's because it's because of um timelines and deadlines that we settle I'd almost kind of tweak this a little bit and say you know the concept of kill the crap which is I would say don't settle never settle don't be afraid to kill the crap never settle for mediocrity because mediocrity is crap you got to be able to if necessary just pull a hard stop an emergency break you got to be able to say this is not good enough to move forward and if it means we miss our deadlines we miss our deadlines but we cannot sign off on this we cannot allow anything that that is below the bar that does not conform to leave this office number 7 be confident but never ever be big ever so it's interesting the way he writes it right be confident but never be big so by you know the inference is big is overconfident big is too big for your boots uh big is hubris arrogance uh, of course confidence is powerful eos core values humbly confident it's confidence with some kind of modifier or qualifier you have to believe in yourself you have to believe in your ability you have to be confident when when you're not 100% certain is courage and and conviction we're going to talk about courage next but conf- there's courageous confidence there's you know faithful confidence there's been confidence confident in the process how do we ever know that what we're doing is right we don't this is why i always love that vince lombardi quote 
In all my days, in all my time, I never lost a single game. I just ran out of time. Is that arrogant? Is that delusional? Or is that just this idea of of confidence? We'll find a way. We always find a way. We will persevere. We will endure. We will prevail. If it's not perfect now, and it may never be perfect, but we won't give up and we won't give in too soon. So, being big? I mean, interpret it any way you want. I think I think the way that I interpret it is probably close to what he meant. Could he have said, but never ever be too big? Sure. But he just said big. Large, puffing out your chest. Big is bad. In this case, smaller is better. Number eight, have the courage to be disliked. Seriously, you will be fine. Now, I actually titled, you know, today the actual space um, on this idea, have the courage to be disliked. Again, anybody that actually talks about being disliked, I think has missed the point. Anyone that actually um, communicates this externally or overtly, I think has missed the point. Having the courage to be disliked is not going out of your way to be disliked. It's not pissing off people. It's not taking pride in pissing off people. It's having the courage to actually, and the conviction to actually stay the course. It's having conviction, period. It's realizing that you can't please everyone all the time. Because if you are everything to all people, you end up being nothing to nobody. It's recognizing that the the more visible you are or the more... um, Famous, which is why I'm Joseph Jaffe, is not famous. But the more visible you are, the more in the public eye you are, the more people will just almost naturally find a way to dislike you. It's tough at the top. People feel that they know you. People will interpret or misinterpret or whatever. but, But this is slightly different. I think this is the ability to say, speak up, stand up, speak up for yourself. And realize that kind of, you know, consensus for the sake of consensus serves no purpose. You know, in, in, my, um, in my episode with Joanna, she turned around and she said, I, I, I must say I, I disagree with you on something. And I, I turned around and I said, you know, I actually love it when people disagree with me. But in this particular case, unfortunately, I, I don't think that you're di- like, I don't think you actually are. But I wanted her to, because I and then and then she I think realized that she had misinterpreted what I was saying. But it's okay. It's okay for for I me mean, if you think about it. If you say A and I say B, and and like, is it not possible that there's a triangulated C? that there's a a different perspective, a third perspective. It's arrogant. It's big, to use uh, Brian's word, to believe that if I say A and you say I disagree with you, he has my perspective B. Well, it's just as arrogant to believe that B is correct. So B thinks A is incorrect. A thinks B is incorrect. What if they're both incorrect? What if they're both correct? What if there's a better way? What if one plus one equals three? And it does. Now, if the result in that is being disliked, then it's fine. If you actually went out of your way to be disliked, not fine. But if being disliked means someone disagreeing, that's totally fine. If being disliked is because you're the person who speaks up or stands up or 
you know, or asks questions, fine. You'll be fine. As long as you're always doing the right thing for the right reasons. As long as you're, you have a full heart. As long as you can go to bed and feel proud of what you did or accomplished or, you know, that you had integrity in everything you did, you'll be fine. Not everyone is going to like you. And look, there are some people that literally make it their life's mission to be liked by everyone. But I think if you generally are liked by everyone, you are compromising. In compromising to them, in order to build a consensus, you're ultimately compromising yourself. And again, this is not for everyone. Some people just don't want to stand out or stick out. And that's okay too. Number nine, every detail is vital. Any achievement will be the collective effort of a team's maniacal focus on detail. The teeny tiniest thing will make the biggest thing possible. So I like this point. I mean, I don't feel like it's it's necessary a natural build on everything, but it fits in, right? It fits in in this idea of quantity over quality, you know, um, kill the crap, all this stuff. It's about the work. It's, it, it's, it's in a way, like I say, it's actually sweating the small stuff. And I like this stuff too. I like the small details. I like the fact that even when I'm watching a movie or or I'm reading something, the smallest detail counts. If I'm reading a book and it's a book, a fictional book, but it's, you know, based on events, and I go and I research and I was like, whoa, this actually happened. This actually is a real person. I love that. I feel like it's lazy to, you know, just gloss over the small stuff. Even when I think about movies, you know, a movie that is shot over weeks or months and the person's hair is, you know, to the left and then to the right. Those small details count too. Because small details can also distract. They can attract and distract. I feel like if someone sweats the small details, it shows you, like, if they can put that much focus, that maniacal focus on the smallest, the teeny tiniest things, then by definition you can extrapolate that the overall product is just going to be that much better of higher quality and substance. It all begins with those small little details, those tiny little things that most people might overlook but you might not or your next customer might not. Those are the details that matter. Number 10, if work fails, it is your fault. Take all the blame. When work succeeds, give all credit to your team because they did it. I mean, this is just leadership 101, plain and simple. Leadership 101. The example that I've uh, been using lately is the window in the mirror. A poor leader, a bad leader, when things go well, they look in a mirror and they see themselves, the reflection, and they take credit for everything that went well. But when things are poor, it's a window. They're looking out the window, looking for someone else to take the fall to blame. A certain president, no names mentioned, was exactly like that. Whenever the stock market was high, they took the credit for it. Whenever the stock market was low, they didn't say a word or they looked for someone to blame. That's not leadership. A great leader, by definition, has a team. I mean, listen, it's MLK Jr., Day to day. Talk about a leader. Because a good leader, when things don't go well, the mirror, 
is present. They see themselves. They take responsibility. But when things go well, the window. They're giving credit to others. Whether that is the result of just being humble, humbly confident, or not. It's just a beautiful way to think about it. If you are a leader, you know, can you be a, a, just one person by themselves and say that person is a leader? No, you can't. Because who are you leading? You're not leading yourself. In a corporate standpoint, yes, if you're a leader, you have a team. In life, in politics, in, in you know, civil you know, discourse, in, in culture, if you are a leader, you, are le- you have to lead someone or something or people, whether it's a team that works for you or people or followers or whatever the case may be. But you give credit when credit is due. And you take personal responsibility when things don't go well or things don't go lesser than anticipated. Instead of assigning blame, it is just as simple as that. The buck stops with the leader. Period. And if you don't like it, you know, if you can't handle the heat, stay out of the kitchen. And finally, number 11. Shit will happen. But failures are not always mistakes. It just might have been the best you could do at that point. Okay, fine. Pick up the pieces. Apologize quickly. The real failure is to beat yourself up and not take the opportunity to learn. And then he says, get back in the air, keep flying. So, I mean, I think the last point, you've probably all heard it a million times. This idea about what is it to fail. Failure, you know, is all about learning. Of course, But I love even in his 11 points, Brian, he kind of, you know, it's all the process, right? It's the process from listening to a client or, you know, being at the point of trying to find that breakthrough, that insight, that big idea, the brainstorming session, teamwork, starting off on a journey, going through that journey, recognizing their bumps and bruises and caveats and tangents and non-secretors and mini-chasms and chasms and however you want to look at it. And sometimes you veer off course and sometimes you have to pull that all stop and sometimes you have to, you know, create that kind of line in the sand that might upset people or piss people off. But hopefully when there is respect involved at all times, the result is that was tough, that was difficult, there was tension, there was, you know, that was a little, you know, a little hairy, but we pulled through together. We're in a better place. And that better place may not actually still result in the happiest of outcomes. It still may end up in in failure. We got to the end and it turns out we were wrong. Or, or, as the leader, I was wrong. I take responsibility. And now guess what? What are we going to do differently? What are we going to do next time? We're going to make the same mistake again? We, uh, you know, Groundhog Day? Same shit, different day? Or are we going to be better, smarter, perfect way to get back to my accident recognizing and realizing good morning to Raphael Joe recognizing that the reason the accident happened was was my was me my fault I take personal responsibility and if I make the same mistake again well that's just a very simple 
shame on me. By the way, I just put the uh, the article that I'm referencing in the cafe chat. And uh, if you were listening on Twitter, um, you can pick that up in discord.gg forward slash alpha collective or, of course, bit.ly forward slash collective cafe to go, which is the podcast version. So just, you know, shout out to Mr. Brian Collins, who uh, will probably wake up at some point because if he's in San Francisco uh, on MLK Junior Day and uh, see a LinkedIn or Substack article or a podcast version that... um, they're just like, oh, wait a second. Who's the Jaffe guy and, and and why is he riffing on me? Well, hopefully I did him justice and hopefully this was a good start to your day um, as well. You know, when I look at these 11 points, some to me are, you know, some of these points are are probably obvious to you and others are less obvious to you. Maybe there's just an original point there that you like, huh, I never, I, I, I wouldn't have, the, you know, three out of the 11 were compelling and interesting to me. Or maybe you look at it and say, I like Joe's take on numbers 2, 8, and, and uh, 10. Or maybe what you do is you say, I actually have a different take on 5 and 6. Or maybe what you do is you say, I'm going to come up with 12, 13, 14, and 15. And so even this piece of thought leadership, even this you know, even this process, this journey doesn't have to stop. doesn't have to stop today. doesn't have to stop ever. We can keep on being able to keep it alive by being able to talk and create perspective and agreement or disagreement, respectfully, hopefully, <laughs> not disrespectfully because you don't want to do something disrespectfully, but recognize the power of conversation uh, Christopher said, great list and topic to start the week. Leaders need followers and they need to be accountable for wins and losses. And of course, a leader's role is to create more leaders. And so if the definition of leadership today is the mirror and the window, maybe I'll call today's episode the mirror and the window, I think it's a great way to think about life. It's a great way to think about team building. I think it's a great way to think about leadership. Um, and... Um, and hopefully you enjoyed today. I will. Uh, I'm, I have two coaching sessions this week, Tuesday and Friday. So most likely I will be uh, out of the Collective Cafe on Tuesday and Friday. But I will be back on Wednesday and Thursday. We will continue with a live book read. Um, and, um, you know, have an amazing, amazing week. Certainly take a moment to think about MLK Jr. Um, and think about courage and conviction, and leadership, and responsibility, um, and ultimately what it is to move this world forward. Take care, everyone, and uh, see you soon. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.